Well, good morning once again. Delighted, delighted to be with you. My name is Pastor Mark Hazen. Glad to be leading you in the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can take them back out and go back to Mark chapter 1, the passage that Pastor Ian read for us earlier in the service. Uh, You'll find uh, our our message this morning will come from that text, Mark chapter 1. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in worship this morning as well. Excellent to sing along with you. Well, as we get started this morning, I've got a question for you. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Who do you think you are? You ever been asked that question before? It's a bit more of a challenge, or it's as much of a challenge as it is a question. Uh, Who do you think you are is kind of like you've overstepped your boundaries. You're bigger than your britches. And whose authority do you think you're acting on? And it's it's a little more of a correction. I, I would imagine in this audience there are a number of people so gentle and submissive you probably were never asked that question. And then there are other people like me who've been asked that question multiple times in the course of their life. Who do you think you are? I remember, I can give you so many examples, they're, they're multitude, but I'll give you one, it applies here. I remember coming here several years ago as a much younger man, having never pastored a church before, and uh, being called to come and serve as your pastor. And uh, so I was younger and new, and uh, I remember at that time attending leadership meetings. Uh, we didn't have an elder board at that time, we had committees and leadership teams and leadership meetings, and, and I remember as the new pastor attending those leadership meetings, and, and decisions are being made and, and at the table, and I would say, well, this is what we're going to do. And a senior member at the table would lean in and say, literally, who gave you that authority? Ah, who, who do you think you are? A good people, good senior members who had been here for a long time. Matter of fact, they could say genuinely, uh, listen here, young buck, we've been here longer than you've been alive. And, uh, and we've seen dozens of pastors come and go and we'll probably be here after you're long gone. Who do you think you are? And I, I had a lot to learn. Uh, I, had a, I had a lot to learn about uh, leading a church that's congregationally governed. I had a lot to learn about uh, leading a church that had, at that point, 60-plus years of history, some of it good, some of it not so good, but a lot of history. I had a lot to learn about leading people, unique personalities, every one of us, <laughs> Unique personalities, unique temperaments, and I had a lot to learn about leading people who hold strongly and tightly to various traditions and values and uh, ministry philosophies and historic decisions. Heard an awful lot of, hey, we've never done it that way before. And I had a lot to learn, and I still do. I don't think you ever graduate from the school of pastoring or leading people. Matter of fact, someone once said that pastoring a church in the West is a lot like herding cats. I said, it's a lot more like herding cats than shepherding sheep. Well, I don't know much about herding cats or shepherding sheep, but I have learned that cats and sheep are best led with food out front, not pushed from behind. And uh, leading, leading with good food out front will get them going. You, you try to push cats or sheep from behind, and they just kind of split off in all sorts of directions. But you lead them with good food, and the hungry will follow. And uh, here at Emmanuel Bible Church, we're hungry to know God and hungry to learn the church, uh, to learn the truth. So as a pastor of this church, I cannot lead you where the Word of God does not take us and does not take us together. And so my primary responsibility as a pastor is to lead you in the Word 
and in the church, the leading and the feeding, they go together. Well, back to my initial question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Last Sunday, Pastor Ian gave us an introduction to the book of Mark, and I've had you turn there this morning. Uh, he told us that Mark is a biography of Jesus. Jesus is being introduced in this gospel, being introduced to us, the readers. Uh, the, the greater question is, who is Jesus? Who does Jesus think he is? What do others have to say about him? And how do they respond to him? And then we can come all the way down to you and me. What do you have to say about Jesus? What do you think about him, and how have you responded to him? I'll say this right here at the start of this study in the Gospel of Mark. If Jesus is who he claims to be, and if Jesus is who others profess him to be and demonstrate him to be by their actions, then his relevance is unparalleled. When people were introduced to Jesus in the Gospels as we read it, and when people are introduced to Jesus today as we read the gospel together, uh, uh, when you are introduced to Jesus, you don't ask, how does Jesus apply to my life? That's a non sequitur. You wouldn't go there. Uh, when you're introduced to Jesus, you're kind of like, whoa, wow, who is this guy? How do I get in with him? How do I get in relationship with him? How do I get into that life? How do I get into that party? How do I get in connected with Jesus? I'll also say this at the start. Uh, Mark's testimony, which we're going to work through over the next quarter, and Mark's record of Jesus is more about what Jesus did than what Jesus said. Uh, Mark will give us some of what Jesus said, not nearly as much as Matthew, Luke, and John did. Mark will give us some of what Jesus said, but the bulk of his record will be on what Jesus did, his actions. And that makes us think of that maxim, that old maxim that we all know, actions speak louder than words. You want to get to know someone, uh, you can listen to what they have to say, but you're better off looking at what they do. Quite frankly, you know your politicians better, not by their rhetoric, but by their voting record. Well, Jesus, you want to know Jesus, Mark is going to introduce Jesus to us, and he's got a lot more revealed about his actions. Uh, even from the Bible, uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11, it says, even a child makes himself known. How? How does a child make himself known? Even a child makes himself known by his acts, his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. You know, last month, uh, Lynn and I hosted a uh, party at our home for the pastoral staff team. And as all of you know, we've got uh, a bunch of new pastoral staff. They've been here less than two years, three of them who've been here two years or less, uh, Pastor Ian, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor David. We had them all over to our house, and we're having a staff party, and we're having a lot of fun. And in the course of the evening, the conversation spun around to me, and they're all like, you know what? You say this all the time, and you do this all the time, and you act this way in these experiences. And they're kind of mocking me for my temperament and personality and how I conduct myself. But I thought, they're getting to know me. They've been here two years, and they, they didn't, you know, maybe they didn't know me beforehand, and now they're getting to know me, not only by what I say, but more by what I do. Well, over the next quarter together, we're going to get to know Jesus. Some of us know him, some of us know him well, but we're going to get to know Jesus even better as we interact with Mark's record of him. We're going to hear him, and we're going to see him, and this morning we begin in Mark chapter 1. Again, you would have read Mark chapter 1 this past week. 
It was kind of the assigned reading that all of us engaged in. Pastor Ian read the entire passage for us this morning earlier in the service. But, uh, so we should be somewhat acquainted with this, uh, this chapter by now. But in Mark chapter 1, as I was reading this last week, I heard five voices from five different people giving us a declaration of who Jesus is, giving us an introduction to Jesus. Not only are there five voices in Mark chapter 1, but I also record five actions, or at least actions taken by five different individuals that also communicate to us something about Jesus. We'll begin with the voices, and then we'll turn to the actions. As you read Mark chapter 1, who speaks? Who speaks and has something to say about Jesus? Well, we're going to find out that Mark, the author of this book, has something to say about Jesus. Uh, We're going to find out that John, John the baptizer, the promised prophetic forerunner of Jesus, has something to say about Jesus. God himself speaks in Mark chapter 1 has something to say about Jesus. Jesus has something to say about himself. And then a demon, or at least a demon-possessed man, gives testimony concerning Jesus as well. Well, what do these five voices have to say? What do these five people have to say about Jesus? Well, Mark, the author of this book, says right at the beginning that Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the Son of God. We find that right in verse 1. You can look with me at verse 1. In the, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does John the baptizer have to say about Jesus? Well, John the baptizer says that Jesus is greater than the greatest prophet. Look at verses 6. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me, again, John is this promised prophetic forerunner of Jesus, after me comes he who is mightier than I am, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he, the one coming, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Mark says Jesus is the the good news. He's the son of God. John the baptizer says Jesus is greater than the greatest prophet. God himself speaks in Mark chapter 1 at Jesus' baptism. And God says Jesus is God's son, and Jesus has God's pleasure. Look at verse verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is God speaking concerning Jesus. Jesus speaks concerning himself. Jesus says that he is the king of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is right at hand. It's present. And we see that in verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here, I'm the king, repent and believe the good news, the gospel. And then lastly, we see a demon who speaks and gives a voice to Jesus as well. Jesus is the holy one of God, and Jesus is the destroyer of all that is evil. We see that in verse 24. We won't read the entire chapter or the paragraph, but just that verse Uh, The uh, the demon is speaking, what do do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this is Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of Mark's record of Jesus' life. And that's quite an introduction. Do you hear it? Jesus is the good news. He is the good news. Jesus didn't come to give us good advice. He didn't come to counsel us. He didn't come to be a therapist. He is the message. He's the messenger, and he is the message. 
He's the story and he's the point of the story. He is the good news. He's the good news from God concerning mankind's deliverance from evil and entrance into God's kingdom. So here we're introduced to Jesus. Jesus is the good news. He's also God's son, the son of God. And it's not as though he's the descendant or the successor or like the one who comes after like sons do in our families today. No, he's the son of God. That's a divine title. Jesus is God. He is the eternal God. He's, he's one with the Father. He's of the same essence and nature, for he is God himself. For example, we read in this chapter uh, about Jesus' baptism by John the baptizer. And when Jesus is baptized, God speaks, and Jesus submits, and the Holy Spirit shows. God speaks and says, this is my son. I'm, I'm well pleased with him. He's my delight. Jesus submits to the eternal plan established by the Godhead from before time, and the Holy Spirit shows, shows the Son and displays the Father's good pleasure by descending on Jesus and remaining on him. That's quite remarkable. We just read Isaiah together, and Isaiah prayed that God would rend the heavens and save his people, and here God has rent the heavens and the Holy Spirit is descending on Jesus, the Son of God, God's agent come to give mankind salvation. What a testimony. The whole trinity on full display at Jesus' baptism, and Jesus is introduced as the second member of that holy trinity. He is the Son of God. He is God's Son. Uh, John the baptizer is another voice who speaks in Mark chapter 1. And according to Jesus, John the Baptist is the goat prophet. What do you mean by goat prophet? Greatest of all time. According to Jesus... Jesus says of John the Baptist, he is the greatest of all the prophets. Now, that's saying something. That's remarkable. Greater than Elijah, greater than Moses, greater than Jeremiah, Isaiah. John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. And John the Baptist, as he speaks of Jesus, he says, Jesus is so superior. He is so significant that even as the greatest prophet, I don't rise to the level of the most menial service. So if Jesus is in the house, John the Baptist doesn't even get to be the butler or the dishwasher or the slave that takes Jesus' shoes and put them in the closet. He doesn't rise to that level. You need someone greater than the greatest prophet to do that type of service for Jesus. So in other words, the winner of America's Got Talent and the top contestant on The Voice and the most powerful person in the world doesn't hold a candle to Jesus, doesn't even come close. John's the greatest of all the prophets, and he's performing water baptisms. He's calling people to be baptized in water, a symbol of their cleansing, and to prepare themselves for Jesus so that their sins might be forgiven. And John says of Jesus, man, the one who's coming after me is greater than me, greater than every prophet, and he's going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you in God himself. Jesus is going to plant people into God's kingdom. There's no one else that can do that but Jesus. So here we're hearing these voices from the greatest prophet, John the Baptist, to the most oppressed man by a demon in the synagogue, and the message concerning Jesus is, Jesus is greater than the greatest. And he is God himself, and he's the good news from God for mankind. He's the king of God's kingdom, and he is here. The promised one has come. Do you hear the voices? It's a remarkable introduction. And we're on chapter one. This is how Jesus is rolled out in the very beginning of Mark's gospel. Do you hear the voices? 
do the actions that we see in chapter one substantiate those voices? Well, we heard five voices. We're now going to hear the actions. Again, as we read Mark chapter one, we, we discover that Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes along a fishing business. Simon and Andrew, they're fishermen. They got a boat, they got some nets, and they're fishing. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you guys, you're used to catching fish for dinner, and you're used to catching fish to sell on the market. Come follow me, I'll make you fish for men. I'll make you fish for people, bringing them into the kingdom of God. That's fascinating. And they follow him. Uh, Jesus walks a little further down the beach, and he comes across an even larger fishing business, Zebedee's fishing business. Well, how do we know it's a larger business? Well, because there are father and sons involved. It's the father's business, and his two sons are involved, and they've got hired help. They probably have multiple boats. And Jesus walks down the, road, down the shore, and, and, he, and he calls out to John and James, sons of Zebedee, and he says the same thing. Hey, hey, you guys come and follow me. And as we read this encounter, we read that they leave their father. And they leave their occupation, their profession. What they grew up thinking, hey, I'm going I'm to grow up and be a fisherman, like my dad. They, they leave their occupation, they leave their father, they leave their hired peers, they detach themselves entirely from their former way of life, and they join themselves to Jesus. At this point in the gospel record, I have no idea what they know about Jesus. I don't know what they know about Jesus. I don't know what they believe about him. I don't know who they think he is. But by their action, they declare that Jesus is compelling enough, compelling enough to drop everything and join themselves to him. It's remarkable. I have no idea. They have no idea at this point what that call, the call of Jesus will place on them and what the cost that will be that Jesus will require of them and the change that he will produce in them. But you think about this call, and you think about it in the context of what we're reading. The greatest of all the prophets says, Jesus is so great. He is so phenomenal. He is so superior that as the greatest prophet, I don't even rise to the level of taking his shoes off and putting them in the closet. You're going to have to get someone greater than me to do that. And now we read Jesus is walking down the shore, and he's calling common fishermen, Come follow me. Come join yourself to me. That's a remarkable invitation. Incredible humility and exceptional grace. Here the Son of God associates with the most lowly people. So by the actions of these four, I said we have five actions. Here's four of them. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. We, uh, we're being introduced to Jesus by these actions, and we discover that Jesus is compelling enough. Compelling enough to drop everything to join him. And we also learn that Jesus is humble enough to associate with the most common people on the street. The last action that I'll look at this morning, and we'll do it rather, rather quickly here at the end, is the action of Jesus himself. We read Mark chapter 1, we hear five voices, we see the response of the disciples, but we also see Jesus begin his action as the Son of God on earth. What does he do? Well, five things. He proclaims the truth, he calls disciples to himself, he heals the sick, he exercises demons, and he re restores lepers. That's phenomenal. Again, that's why I say if you were introduced to Jesus, you wouldn't go, oh, how does Jesus apply to my life? Huh. No, if you were introduced to Jesus, you'd be like, this guy is something else. He is someone great. 
how, how do I get connected to that guy? How do I get into his camp? How do I get with him? He proclaims the truth. What does he proclaim? Well, we read it. He preaches about himself. He is the good news. So he's come to deliver good news, and he's it. So he preaches about himself, and he announces that he is the king, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and he calls people to turn to him and believe the good news, and he is the good news. He calls disciples. We just talked about that. Common people. Fishermen like Andrew and Peter and James and John. He calls disciples to himself. He heals the sick. Uh, we read in Mark chapter 1 that after a day of teaching in the synagogue, he goes to, to Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and he heals her, and she's well, so much so that she gets up and she deacons them. That's the, the word there in the text. She deaconizes them. She, she serves them. He not only heals the sick, but he exercises demons. The people in the synagogue were fascinated with Jesus because his teaching had authority, and then he casts out a demon, and they're like, whoa, now does his teaching have authority? He himself has authority. He casts out demons. He restores lepers. Uh, here we see in this text that a, an unnamed man broke the law and, and, and went against all societal norms. If you were a leper, you didn't approach people. And if you were a leper, you stayed on the outskirts. Well, here's a leper coming to Jesus in the hopes that he'll be healed by him. And Jesus heals, restores a man to health, cures him of his leprosy. So as Mark introduces us to Jesus, and this is just chapter one, we hear multiple voices who proclaim who Jesus is. And then we see multiple actions that authenticate those claims, actions by disciples and actions by Jesus himself. And this is just the beginning. As Mark says in verse 1, this is the beginning of the good news. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, we began this message this morning with the question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Being introduced to Jesus makes us realize how irrelevant that question really is, which fascinates me. Because everyone today seems to be so fixated on identity. Being introduced to Jesus makes us realize how irrelevant, who do you think you are, how irrelevant that question really is. Our self-identity pales in comparison with the identity of Jesus Christ. And who Jesus is and who he is for us is the most meaningful reality we could ever come upon. As A.W. Tozer once said, what we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. What a fascinating statement. What we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. Who do you think you are? What does that matter? What do you have to say about Jesus? What do you think about him? If he is who he claims to be, if he is who others claim him to be and declare him to be by their actions, then Jesus is the most significant person this world has ever encountered and ever will. We began the, 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 the message with the question, who do you think you are? I'll end the message with the question, who do you think Jesus is? What do you have to say about him? What do you know about him? And how does the identity of Jesus impact everything about you? How does the identity of Jesus impact everything about me? As I was thinking these things through, I was thinking a couple of thoughts. First of all, life is meaningless without him. 
Life is meaningless without him. Because of him and through faith in him, we, we become alive to God again. How remarkable. Jesus himself is the gospel. Uh, the other thought I had is it would take a miracle. It would take a miracle of the Holy Spirit to turn narcissistic phone gazers into followers of Jesus Christ. It would take a miracle of the Holy Spirit to turn self-centered, self-absorbed, overreaching people like me to recognize the person of Jesus Christ and his authority and surrender to him. To see the glory of Jesus Christ will require a work in our hearts that the word of God can do. The word of God is powerful and effective. It reveals to us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray here at the beginning of our time in Mark's gospel, God, do your work in us. Continue to reveal to us the beauty and the glory of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your good news to us, our Savior. Well, there's no better way to conclude this service than to remember Jesus Christ around the table. This, this, is, the, uh, this is how Jesus wants us to remember him. I find this absolutely fascinating. Jesus is like, I want you to remember me, so... Save up money every year and take an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, every one of you. No, that's not what he says. No, he says, I want you to remember me, and I want you to remember me by partaking of the bread and partaking of the cup. Remember my body broken for you. Remember my blood poured out at the cross for your sin. Remember my powerful resurrection, declaring that I am who I say I am, who God says I am, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And do this until I return, as you remember me. So let's, let's do that this morning. Uh, let, let me uh, have a word of prayer. And as I pray, if the gentlemen who are going to help distribute the elements this morning would come forward, I'd appreciate that. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We're so thankful for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, thank, so thankful for his humility. So thankful for his coming, taking on flesh, serving us, becoming our Savior. We gather this morning and we remember Jesus by partaking of this bread and this cup, remembering his body broken for us, remembering that he himself became sin for us on the cross. What we deserve, he bore in his own body. You vindicated him. He powerfully rose from the dead. And through his death and resurrection, he has provided for our salvation. So we rejoice in Jesus Christ and we boast in the cross. And we gather together this morning to remember him by partaking of these elements. Pray that you might unite our hearts together as we do this. And I pray that Jesus Christ himself would be glorified. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and for all that you are for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.